Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers, and I think we have a very timely guest. Every time he appears, he's always seems to be as a timely guest, and that's Dr. Mike Walden. Uh, Dr. Mike Walden, of course, is a uh, professor emeritus of economics at North Carolina State University and has created quite a reputation for himself throughout the years as the uh, one that most everyone turns to for the best advice on what's going to happen in the state of North Carolina. And uh, we'll we'll talk more about some of the things he's done and also some of his books that he's written. And we'll do that later on. But first, uh, Mike, uh, since the last time you were on, we were talking about the R and the I words, recession and inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so sort of bring us up to date on where we are as of this date. Well, inflation, yeah, inflation is still an issue. Uh, we've had a little bit of progress if you look at the the go-to measure, which is the consumer price index, uh, it's down around the high sevens at the last reading, 7.7, I think was the last reading. In June, it was at 9.1. These are year over year numbers. So it looks like a little bit of progress. Some people may have seen a report um, came out actually today called the uh, um, uh, PC, personal consumption expenditures. It's an alternative measure of inflation the federal government puts out that, adjust for changing buying habits. In other words, if uh, the price of beef goes up and the price of chicken doesn't, people presumably some will shift from beef to chicken. The consumer price index doesn't account for that. The PC does. It came in uh, today at uh, year-over-year 6%, down from 6.2 last last month. So it looks like a little bit of progress, but Don, we're nowhere near where people are going to be comfortable. I mean, remember, we were pre-COVID around a 2% annual inflation rate. The R word, recession, still up in the air. I think the, the several um, surveys I've seen in economists, the majority of economists think we will have a recession sometime in 2023, uh, probably a two-quarter recession, uh, either first, second quarter or or second and third quarter. The good news is that um, we think that if that does occur, it'll be a rather modest recession in terms of recessions. And just to go to the unemployment rate, which is, I think, the go-to measure that most people look at right now, we're sitting at around 3.7%. Maybe we'd get up to 5 maybe 6% during that recession. But Don, that is very, that is a very low number for a recession. So, so bad news is we, majority economists think we will have a recession. Good news, it'll be mild and rather short-lived. And the other thing I would think in the unemployment figures, and you may know this better, but uh, most of those, uh, I mean, there is a huge pent-up desire for executive-type talent that uh, I don't think will go away. I, I don't know about you, but it just seems like everybody I talk to that is trying to hire uh, salespeople or uh, executive-like people, everybody's got a lot of openings, and those are going to have to close up pretty quickly if if those areas are of, uh, going to be affected by any slowdown. What are, well, what are you... It, how does it break? In other words, I guess the question I'm asking is, how's the unemployment numbers breaking out? Is it manufacturing jobs or uh, administrative jobs or what? In terms of the projections for if we do have a yeah. recession in unemployment, no. yeah, manufacturing jobs always get hit hardest. Uh, anything that where people can postpone buying leisure time jobs, travel, hospitality, et cetera, et cetera. 
uh, optional expenditures like restaurants. Yeah, those are always hard hit. But going back to your point about how there, there are many unfilled jobs, that may actually save us because there's a theory that says that if we do have a recession and businesses need to save some money, they've got a, many, most businesses have a lot of unfilled positions. Many of those businesses will have already allocated funds for those positions in case someone comes in. So they can cut those unfilled positions, save some money, and maybe not have to lay off anyone who's already working. That's one theory. In fact, there's one economist who uh, works for the Federal Reserve, one of the Federal Reserve banks, Don, who got a lot of publicity a few months ago by saying that this could be the first recession where we actually don't have a significant rise in the unemployment rate and we may not actually have a reduction in jobs because of that phenomenon what i just said so like like so many things don covid is still working it's uh, it's magic if you will changing a lot of the things that we thought were were ingrained and in this case in our economy could be different this time around how uh, do you see any numbers on people who are still working at home versus uh, uh, people who are back to work at their desk in offices and on uh, retail floors? Well, clearly the the remote work percentage has has gone down. It was at a peak on of sixty percent during the height of the pandemic, and pre-pandemic it was only eight percent. So we went from eight percent to sixty percent. The numbers that I've seen suggest maybe we're down we're around thirty to thirty-five percent, and many economists think that it'll stay at that level. So certainly less remote work than in, during the pandemic, but more than pre-pandemic. I think remote work is here to stay. I think it's going to be a job by job, business by business determination. Uh, some business you may have you may end up with two businesses doing exactly the same thing. One business has decided, yeah, we're going to go to remote work. The others decided they're not. I think a lot has to do with competing for workers. A lot of workers uh, like remote work, but there are a lot of workers who don't like the remote work. They want that break between their home life and, the, and their work life. So I think we have to sort this out. But I think the one thing that, we're, that economists think will, is going to happen or will happen is that remote work will be more prominent than it was pre-pandemic. If you were in the business of building uh, office buildings, what would be or advising people who are building office buildings? What would you suggest as far as their plans, as far as construction? Yeah, because probably, if more people go work at home, it would seem like we would yeah. need more office, less office space. Yeah, yeah, that that's an excellent question. I get asked that question usually every time I do a public talk. Um, <clears throat> the way I answer that is, I certainly would be very cautious if I was a commercial developer in, say, a big city like New York or Philadelphia or Chicago even Los Angeles. But in Raleigh, I think you can be more aggressive simply because we're at the top, we're, we're at the top of most lists in terms of growth and projection for growth. I saw one number the other day, Don, I forget where it came from, that just startled me. It said that by 2050, Raleigh will have a million more people. So people are moving here. And I think a lot of the commercial development, we were talking about this for the program, I think a lot of the commercial development going on in Raleigh and planned for Raleigh is based on that notion that Raleigh is still going to attract people. Uh, a lot of young people coming here, uh, go to universities, they stay here. Older people may move here to retire near their children, et cetera. So uh, I think it would be, I think developers can be a little more aggressive here in Raleigh, the Raleigh area, the Triangle area than they can in some other areas. But still, I think in the next year, uh, probably exercise a little more caution. Tell me about the automotive business because almost every car dealer will tell you they don't have anywhere close to the supply of new cars that they would like to have 
Uh, is this a manufacturing problem or a part problem? And uh, in your best judgment, when will it end? Well, we still have supply chain problems. They they got much much better earlier this year. <clears throat> now we've had some rise in those problems. Uh, everyone sees what's going on in China. That's affected some factories there, et cetera. So there still is some supply chain problems, not only in the automotive area, but in many other areas, uh, computer chips, et cetera. Um, I, I think probably carbine will be one of those sectors that'll slow down if we do have a bona fide recession. So that may ease a little bit the situation if you are in a position to buy a new car, can finance it, don't need to borrow money, et cetera. Um, uh, then you could probably have your pick and, and not have to wait as much. But I think it's going to be, again, like so many things, Don, I think it's going to be still a while before we get over this uh, aftermath of COVID. And one of the questions I get from people when I do talks, I just I just did a talk this morning, people are just so frustrated. I mean, we're now in, what, the third year of, of, of COVID or, or the overhang of COVID, and once we got past the worst of the pandemic, then we had inflation hit. Now there's concerns about recession. People ask me, Walden, when are we just going to get back to some sense of normalcy? Uh, it's three years that we've been struggling in one way or the other. And I get that. And and the best I can tell people is I think we are going to have some challenges coming up with uh, still with inflation, even though it looks like it might be getting a wee bit better, uh, potentially with a recession. But even if it's not an official recession, I think we'll have a slower economy. So I'm telling people that if you can hang on for another year, I would think this time next year, Don, when we're hopefully talking, we'll be on the other side of these issues and things will be looking brighter and much more normal. The other thing, of course, that's happening in North Carolina is already a, a number of uh, very large announcements have been made about uh, new plants and new uh, factories. For example, the Vincrest automobile factory, the battery factories, and uh, Charlotte's had some announcements. Uh, how does that play into this whole whole picture? Yeah, that, that's just amazing. Um, well, number one, I think it just buttresses the, the point that North Carolina is an attractive area for businesses to come to, and obviously people will follow. Um, now, you mentioned the, um, the battery factory, uh, the chip factory, Wolf Speed, and then VinFast, uh, two of them in Chatham County, the other, uh, the other toward Greensboro. Uh, I, I, I find that absolutely amazing. And I give a lot of credit to our economic recruiters. Uh, Chris Chung, for example, you may have seen a good friend of mine who was named Tar Heel of the Year. He's the top, he heads the recruiting office, the public private partnership. Uh, they do a great job. I've, I've spoken to his group many times, fine people. Um, I'm, I'm excited about that for several reasons, what's going on in that that area between the triangle and the triad with all these companies you just mentioned, because uh, I think that is well situated, first of all, to tap into expertise in the triangle, expertise in the triad, but also to tap into some rural work population that's a, that's north of 40 and south of 40, where people maybe will have to drive a half hour, but that's not a problem. And I find that very, very exciting because that's what really what North Carolina has been lacking largely of getting good paying jobs into people in rural areas uh, so they don't have to travel an hour or two hours to get to a good paying job. And of course, this is all having to do with the transformation that's occurred over the last 40 years in the North Carolina economy. So I think that corridor there is is going to be very, very exciting to see as it develops. And of course, the uh, thing that never gets really as much publicity as it should is every time you have a new plant like the Vincrest come in, plant coming in, you also have a lot of support industry. You mm -hmm. have a growth in the number of uh, homes being built. You have growth in the number of uh, new 
fast food restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what is that factor now? If you announce, uh, say, 7,000 employees, what is the overall effect that uh, you use in calculating how many jobs it actually does create overall? Well, it varies by industry, but a good rule of thumb would be somewhere between 1.5 to 2. In other words, you have 1,000 jobs at the factory. You're going to have somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 total, including the factory jobs. And, but I will say, Don, and I, we, Mary and I have some relatives in, in Chatham County who moved there because it was so rural. I get it that a lot of people don't like this change, but uh, there's nothing, you know, that that's something that preferences will dictate that. Uh, but I think you have to weigh the benefits of providing some really high quality jobs to people versus, yes, it's going to change. I mean, Chatham County is going to be transformed over the next 20 years, clearly. Well, and of course, you keep putting an emphasis on good paying jobs. And that's what these uh, these announcements uh, uh, imply is that these are high paying jobs. Uh, they're not uh, minimum wage jobs by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I guess is Mike Walden. He's the retired uh, or I guess better use the academic term emeritus professor of <laughs> economics at North Carolina State University. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about interest rates and mortgage rates and how the uh, current economy and the future economy might be in regards to what we pay for the money we borrow and for the homes and businesses that we might build uh, on, uh, on mortgage rates. And we'll do that when we return right after these messages. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them. But I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives. But he was there beside me. And my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walden. And uh, he, of course, is the Professor Emeritus of Economics at North Carolina State University. Been a frequent guest on our program many, many years. And uh, we always enjoy Mike because he makes uh, economic forecasts that even I can understand. And appreciate. And uh, like we talked about the R word and the I word in the first session, recession and inflation. Let's talk now about interest rates and mortgage rates because consumers, in fact, all of us are very concerned about how to plan ahead for what we might be paying on the money we borrow, whether it be for uh, credit cards or cars or homes or whatever. So what do you see happening in the uh, in the uh, money market? 
Well, interest rates are still going to rise. And of course, this is part of the Federal Reserve's policy to make it more expensive for people and businesses to borrow money in order to motivate them not to borrow as much, not to spend as much, slow down spending, and thereby take the pressure off of prices and bring the inflation rate down. That's a policy that the Federal Reserve always uses in that situation. Uh, in the background, they're also actually also pulling money out of the economy, but that's sort of unseen. Uh, I have people ask me, Don, every time I do a talk, they'll say, uh, Dr. Walter, why here we have here we are struggling with inflation and you're telling me that the the answer to that is to even make it more difficult by making sure that people who borrow money have to pay more uh, for example if you're buying a house uh, interest rate is twice the size it was a year ago and i give them the story and i i hope i'm not too long-winded here don you, you probably remember this President no, ford when he took office in the mid-70s um he was faced with an economic situation of high inflation, and he brought his advisors in and said, what are we going to do to bring the inflation rate down? And they said, well, you got to have Federal Reserve raise interest rate, might cause a recession, et cetera. And President Ford said, no, I don't want to go that route. I know that's typical route. I want to not go that route. And so what he designed was a public relations campaign. It was called WIN, Whip Inflation Now, where he motivated, he said he wanted to motivate people to, to restrain spending on their own. Don't spend as much. Uh, plant a garden. Don't buy vegetables at the grocery store. Uh, use less fuel by raising your temperature in the summer and lowering it in the in the winter. It was a total failure. It was a total failure. It did not work. So I, I tell that story to people because I think, yes, we all would like to be able to do this together in order to bring the inflation rate down. But it looks like that's not the direct way to do it. And so I think we're going to see more pain. We're going to see more hikes in interest rates. My guess is the Federal Reserve is not done raising those rates. So a young family looking to buy a house, my advice would be maybe back off of that. Uh, wait until rates come down. Hopefully, as I said earlier, a year ago, a year from now, not a year, not, not a year ago, a year from now, we'll be on the downside of this and we might see rates coming down. So uh, let's put some numbers to that. So what do you think we're going to see as far as mortgage rates? for the next, uh, say, six months? Well, mortgage rates right now are just shy of 7%. They actually pulled back a, a smidge, uh, but just saw, saw shy of 7%. I think we could see as high as 9%. I'm not going to go willing, I'm not willing to go to the double digits, 10, but I think we could see rates in the worst case scenario be at 9%. If we go to 9%, and uh, are these mortgages fixed now, or will people be able to refinance? Well, the the rate on the the benchmark rate usually is the thirty year fixed rate. So I'm saying nine percent on the fixed rate. Uh, and yes, no. one way if you do have absolutely positively have to buy a house for whatever reason and you want to save some money, one thing to do is go to a variable rate where you get a, a lower initial rate, but you accept the risk that that may, rate may go much higher, maybe even higher than the fixed rate, depending on how interest rates are going. So that's always an option for people. And then another option for people is if they want that fixed rate, uh, go ahead and get it. And then keep in mind that, event, that at some point when the rates go back down, you can refinance, cost you money, but refinancing is an option. Another thing that's a sort of a mystery to me is some of my banker friends tell me that they have money to lend. Uh, and so they're actually out looking for loans at the same time that interest rates are going up. That, that seems to be counter to uh, uh, free enterprise. 
Well, they do have money to lend and they have money to lend at a certain rate. And I'm sure what they're doing is they're trying to look at look for borrowers who can afford those higher rates so that so that the bank can make money. They're not making money by having that cash sit around. So I, I totally get that. But I think people are, are number one, money people just can't borrow at the rates that that they that prevail. And then a lot of other people are backing off from from big plans, even businesses backing off from big plans because they hear this. This discussion about, well, are we going into a recession? How bad will it be? Et cetera, et cetera. So they're putting their plans on the shelf. So uh, I think that's the reason why sometimes uh, lenders who are trying to find projects that they can loan money to and then make a profit can't find it because uh, the potential customers there have have looked at the economic environment and said, eh, I'm going to postpone things. I'm going to wait. Now, these same bankers or lenders also tell me that a number of companies that they deal with are flush with cash. Mm -hmm. So what are these companies going to do with that cash and how will that play into the overall picture? Well, again, not not surprising. Uh, a lot of companies have a lot of cash and, and depending on how they want to invest that, uh, they may have been taking on some risky assets. But again, they don't want to lose money. So uh, they can always park their money somewhere. They can park their money and earn very, very modest interest rates. But I think this is part of the overall complexion of the economy that, again, there is just a general concern about where the economic landscape is going to take us. Uh, big businesses, small businesses, big borrowers, small borrowers hear about the R word, the recession. They read about the majority of economists thinking we will have a recession and they may be not get into the details and say see that well most economists are thinking if we ever do have a recession we mild of course they think about the covid recession how disastrous that was they think about the housing crash the, the, the recession in the early part of the 2000s with the housing crash how bad that was so it is it is very logical to me uh, that that uh, regardless of who you are, whether you're a household, whether you're a business, you're being more cautious now. You want to see how this how this economy is going to unfold. Uh, how what what are we going to go through over the next six to nine months? What about automobile financing? And uh, because as uh, as we've said, the automobile business is a, a little bit in flux because dealers haven't had enough cars on their lot to fulfill the uh, need or the or the demand as it is. Yeah. Uh, will they continue to have money available for car loans? Uh, yeah. Again, of course, the, the money, you know, my point here is that I think with all, with uh, the last several questions, <laughs> the money is, is there, even though the Federal Reserve is pulling some back, there is money there. The question is whether the auto dealers can find people who are willing to pay pay the interest rate and have the credit to, to back that up. Uh, so again, I think if as we go through the next six to nine months, where I think we will get closer to, if not into a recession, you'll see even uh, car dealers are going to find their their business uh, soften dr uh, dramatically. You're going to see the housing market already has. You're going to see that market soften as people. Uh, look at their spending and say, all right, now uh, I've got to worry about keeping my job. I've got to worry about not keeping up with inflation, et cetera. Where can I avoid some expenses? And they're going to look at things that they don't have to do right now. They don't have to take a vacation. They don't have to necessarily buy a new car, new house, et cetera. A lot of manufactured products, maybe they want a new dining room set. No, they're not going to do that. So that's going to affect the, the furniture business. So uh, where people can cut back is on things that are where they don't need to do it now, it's they're postponable, 
or it's something like a restaurant, a dinner out where you can substitute eating at home. Uh, so, so I think we're going to see more and more of that as we go through the next several months. Agriculture is still very important to the state of North Carolina, and uh, inflation, of course, uh, really takes a toll on the farmer mm -hmm. because they are buying uh, fertilizers and, and pesticides and so forth at a higher rate, counting on getting a higher price when the crops come in. Um, how's that going to bear out here in North Carolina, and will the farming community come out ahead or behind or about even? Oh, I, I'm actually fairly worried about many of our farmers, Don. They have faced extraordinary increases in, in their prices. You mentioned fertilizer. Uh, they they have uh, faced disruptions to to their supply chain in terms of, uh, for example, you go back to 2020, not restaurants were closed down, so they had a, they had a change where they were selling their product. Um, I, I was talking to someone the other day who is very close to the farming community, and and he he said he is profoundly worried about uh, the ability of many farmers to, to survive. And even in the best of times, farming is extremely risky enterprise because you mentioned you're subject to things like the weather, you're subject to prices that you don't control. It's an international market. What happens in Ukraine affects you, what happens in South America affects you. So even in the best of times, farming is an extremely risky enterprise. And then you throw on top of that what we've been through in the last several years with the pandemic, you've simply added that risk. So, yeah, I, I, and I know the commissioner is uh, Commissioner Troxler is well aware of these issues and is paying close attention to them. But I think we do have to be concerned about our farmers and make sure that we can keep as many of them as possible afloat until, again, we get on the other side of this economy. Well, that brings me to the Ukraine situation because we're we're not in a war, but we are uh, <laughs> we are supplying a lot of money for a war. How, how does this picture uh, affect the economy? Because uh, as we use up these military supplies, I guess this is going to create jobs to replace them, and and then where does the money come from? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, certainly this is outside my economic claim, but the way I look at this is we're in a proxy war war with the Prussia, with the Russians. Uh, the Ukrainians are doing the fighting, but we're doing the bulk of the supply of the Ukrainians from everything from uniforms and ponchos and winter coats to the latest sophisticated equipment. And um, uh, it's not been going well for the Russians, and I guess there are a lot of uh, thought that with Putin presumably ill, severely ill, uh, we may, may not be surprised, should not be surprised one day if we wake up and hear that there was an overthrow, a coup, whatever you want to call it in Russia, and, and Putin's out and, and new people are in. But clearly, uh, Ukraine, I mean, I think we've, we've, we've gotten to live with this. I mean, we've, uh, it's not the headline in the news anymore. I mean, like anything that goes on and on and on, you sort of adopt, adapt to it. But clearly, there have been some adverse impacts on agriculture. Uh, there have been some adverse impacts on on the fuel markets and many other markets. So it's it's impacted the economy in a negative way. And, and there's some concerns about starvation in countries not being able to get grain from Ukraine and maybe even Russia. Uh, fuel costs are still, uh, we've, we've seen gas prices come down. They're still not as low as they once were. So clearly a lot of personal impacts here in our country, but I think the geopolitical implications are, are potentially enormous. I have no ability to predict them, but I think probably we're looking at something geopolitically that's uh, as earth-shaking as what we went through with Vietnam or, or the aftermath of Vietnam, the taunt with the Russians, et cetera, because I think we could see some jarring things happen in the next several months. Well, of course, you know, anytime you have a change, we always assume it's going to be a change for the better. 
it's always possible that Putin would be replaced by somebody even more severe because uh, Russia's supply of oil, especially to Europe, is yeah. key to any kind of an international economy. And its effect could be very long uh, reaching uh, over, all, all the way over here in the United well, States. Yeah, well, a lot would depend on who the military sided with in Russia. And I think there's been dissatisfaction in the military. There's obviously some dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with the people in, in Russia. So I don't know if we'd have a, a, a Yeltsin thing where you move toward democracy or you might move in the other direction. But, but I would not be surprised if something big were to happen in the next, say, four to six months. Mike Walden is our guest, and uh, we have an upcoming session uh, right after our commercial break in which we're going to talk about North Carolina state government and state finances and how the state of North Carolina will fare next year uh, as far as its government operations. Mike Walden, of course, the retired, I keep using that term, the uh, proper term is Professor Emeritus of Economics at North Carolina State University. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, Dr. Phil here. I help people solve difficult and trying personal problems every day on my TV show, but there's one problem that's just got me stumped. Childhood hunger. Nearly 16 million children in America struggle with it. That's one in five kids who may not know where their next meal is coming from, despite the fact that there's more than enough healthy, nutritious food out there to feed them all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is unacceptable to me. Luckily, the Feeding America network of good people is out there collecting surplus food and giving hope to hungry children and their families at local food banks all across the country. But let's face it, they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. When I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Dr. Mike Walden. Before we get back to talking about uh, North Carolina state government and how the government will fare next year economically, I'd like to talk about Mike's uh, other uh, books that he is writing and, and has written. And, of course, not only has he written some uh, uh, books on the, the economy, but also dabbling in a uh, little fiction. So tell us what you're writing these days. <laughs> well, some I, people would say some of your books on the economy are fiction. <laughs> that's right. Actually, the, the uh, we, we did, actually, Mary and I did three books. Um, uh, they were what we called economic thrillers. People will laugh at that. But I wrote them primarily to help students learn economics in an entertaining way. And, and I had many students who said they loved them. Um, we're actually working on, even though I'm not teaching anymore, we're actually um, starting I'm starting to think about a fourth edition of that series because we have a main character that follows through all of them. Um, I do have, uh, you mentioned, you kindly mentioned the title of my most recent books on how the post-pandemic economy may impact families. So that that is out. I did a book in 2000 uh, that looked at all the major economic issues in the country and 
and uh, analyzed them, gave my take on solutions. It's called Real Solutions. And my next uh, uh, nonfiction book that I'm working on is, is kind of go back to where I started, where I did personal finance. It's a, uh, a book uh, that I've got to actually have a rough draft on that hopes to teach some key personal finance uh, techniques in a very understandable way. It's not going to be a long book, be a short book. People can pick it up, read it in, in an evening and, and be equipped to make some key personal finance decisions for them. It'll be accompanied by some free computer programs to allow them to, to work out some of the math. So that's that's the next venture in that area. Do you have a working title for that book? Uh, something like uh, uh, Learning Investing in thirty in 60 Minutes, something along those lines. I want to yeah. emphasize that it's not going to take you months to read it. <laughs> something yeah, like yeah, me, something like the 60 minute investment guide i think that's what i've got yeah. on the working working title <laughs> well that uh, sounds like a fascinating book and one i think it would be very popular so where if someone wants to see a list of your books or buy them where would they uh, where would they go well like anything amazon uh, is the is the big place to go i have an author page there so you just all you need to do is go to amazon type in my name and you should go to my author page and you'll see all my actually 13 books with the latest one. So that means I have to write a 14th one. Uh, but all my books listed there, always, already, all, all the way going back to, I think, the early 80s when I wrote my first book, which was a textbook. Probably no one wants to, to buy that one. But uh, that has uh, Amazon. The Amazon author page for me has all the Michael L. Walden. Let's uh, turn down to uh, your forecast for the state of North Carolina. Uh, our state government finances have been in great shape for the last several years. What do you, uh, uh, as we go into this period of uh, an uncertain economy with the word recession and inflation there, how is North Carolina positioned to uh, handle this from a point of view of the North Carolina state government? I think very well. I think our, our uh, leadership uh, and state government uh, was very aware of the possibility for a recession to hit. Um, I had I had um, short conversations with one of the, one of our leaders, and and um, um, he was uh, very very concerned about where it's nothing to do with North Carolina per se. I mean, if, if we we don't cause recessions. It's because we're part of the national economy. So the bottom line there is North Carolina has a sizable in the billions of dollars of reserves. So hopefully if we have a recession, especially if it's mild, but even if it wasn't mild, I think the, the state has enough money to keep state workers on, which is always a concern. I can remember recessions of past times where there's even discussion at the university level of maybe people being laid off. And I think there were some layoffs at the university level. Uh, but I think North Carolina now is, is really in a great position with a uh, sizable savings account, if you will, in the in the billions that I think we can handle um, uh, anything that gets thrown at us in, in 2023 in terms of keeping state employees paid and keeping state and ser state services going. Uh, let's turn to the election results, which uh, came out a little different than most people had anticipated. Most people thought there was going to be a strong movement away from uh, the Democratic control. That did not happen. Uh, we, uh, the Republicans will take control of the House, but by a very slim uh, lead. Uh, and there's, there are those who think that they can't even control those. Uh, how will that affect the economic situation? Uh, 
And uh, what is your forecast as far as what might happen on the federal uh, government level is, again, considering the economy and the words R and I? Um, well, the, the I is pretty much in the hands of the Federal Reserve. I mean, if, if the um, federal government was going to do anything, it would be on, uh, and they should have, and if they were, they would, we would have wanted them to be doing this all along is to work on the supply side, make sure that uh, they're doing what they can to keep the supply chain going. I mean, that's one of the concerns now with the possibility of a rail strike. Of course, big debates over energy. Many people have said, even if you want to go to a renewable future, we should have not gone as fast and, and put as many impediments on fossil fuel development, especially in the last several years when we've had these supply chain problems. But, but most of the action in terms of dealing with inflation is going to be in the Federal Reserve, and they are an independent body. The president doesn't have direct control over them, so they're going to be working out there uh, in, in terms of what they decide. Um, <clears throat> in terms of moving ahead, I think, and this is uh, my reading of, of, of politics, is whenever you have divided government, which we're going to have over the next two years, it is one chamber, the House and Republican hands, Senate. Well, we'll see. Well, I guess it's still going to be, regardless of what happens in Georgia, Democrats will control with the help of the vice president. And then obviously President Biden being a Democrat, we're going to have a divided government. And usually that means nothing big is going to happen. You're, you're going to have some gridlock there. Um, because you didn't, for many things, you're going to need both chambers. And, and if you got both chambers, uh, the president there has a veto pen, you need two thirds of a ride. So that's not likely. So my guess is that we're going to have a situation in the coming year, coming two years where you get a lot of proposals, a lot of talk from Republicans, a lot of proposals, a lot of talk from Democrats, including the president, but probably not much resolution. I, I wish, I wish I didn't think that way, but I think that's, that's the way it's going to happen now. Maybe we'll be surprised. Maybe there'll be a, a massive uh, new way of looking at things and say, look, let's see if we can compromise, get some of these big problems dealt with. But my guess is the big legislative um, um, pa passages of legislation that we've seen over the last two years, that's probably done. Uh, the big One of the big impending questions, Don, of course, is we've got uh, a budget running out. Uh, we've got to get some bills passed to keep the federal government going. That's uh, staring them right in the face. Things like the military budget has to be approved, et cetera. So there, there are big, big decisions that hopefully our decision makers know are so, so, so important that they'll be able to get some agreement upon. Well, there are a lot of people that think gridlock is not all that bad because it does force, in many cases, a little bit more uh, compromise on both sides. And sometimes compromise works best. Uh, and uh, we'll just have to see how that works out. But uh, there are and, a lot and, of yeah, and, that, uh, don't mind gridlock. And you're and you're 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 right on that, Don. If you look at past four-year terms of presidents, oftentimes the president comes in uh, with uh, sort of a mandate, maybe has both houses. President Trump did that; uh, came in with both houses, both chambers, with Republican control, and that's when a lot of stuff gets done. Then you have midterm election, and and uh, at least one of the chambers is lost, and then you don't have much action after that. So, so this is not unusual. Are you uh, concerned about where the federal debt is? Uh, do you think we can take on much more? I am concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm not concerned to the point where I think this is a crisis. Um, we we were we we were we were able to take on a lot of debt over to well, actually, I don't mean, go back as far as you want, at least in the 1990s, because interest rates are so low. And there's an argument that that's the time to take on debt when interest rates are low. Uh, unfortunately, the debt 
many parts of that have to get recycled so that we're now seeing that the federal government is having to finance some of the debt at higher interest rates because interest rates have gone up. So the interest cost of the national debt is going to be a bigger part of the federal budget, which means that that crowds out of doing other things. Um, my longtime advice on the national debt is we ought to take the federal budget and divide it into two pieces, a, a current budget and a capital budget where you limit borrowing to only for capital items, which are defined as things that are long lasting. That's what businesses do, Don. I'm sure you do that. But that's never and when state, and North Carolina state government does that. Pretty North Carolina, yeah, most states do. North Carolina does that exactly. Uh, that's the way to go, and we can we can then debate all about well, how much do we want to put in the on the capital side? But at least we knew these were long lasting projects. Well, it's interesting. Uh, now uh, we always have to ask the question about the the uh, prospects of Social Security and the. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, how firm that uh, foundation is on the Social Security situation. I think the last time you said you you think this is a can that's going to be kicked down the road a little bit longer, but uh, uh, how much longer will that can uh, be be able to be kicked down? The road? Well, we probably got another 10 years because I think the latest estimate from the Social Security Administration is they can keep paying what they promised until sometime in the early 2030s. Uh, yeah, and I think this is where you, you have to have, people have to understand politics. Um, Elected leaders don't want to do anything that could maybe tick people off and make some people mad if they can avoid it. And I think making change to Social Security is one of those things that could anger a lot of people. So I think the the path is usually wait until it gets in your face and you can't avoid a decision. That's what happened in the early 80s when we had the same kind of problem. Ronald Reagan appointed a commission headed by Alan Greenspan. They made the changes that got approved, and that's carried us to where we are now. So my prediction is, Don, that nothing's going to be done until maybe 2030, 2031. Then we'll have a commission, we'll get some approval, and then we'll we'll go for another 30 years. And uh, I, we touched on this just briefly. You mentioned that gas prices have backed down a little, uh, have not backed down to the lowest levels that they have been in the last three or four years. Uh, what are you reading and hearing about what we might anticipate as far as gas prices, especially, say, for the next six months? Uh, the, the, the winter part of that, I think, will be good. Then when spring comes and driving increases, then we can have the potential for seeing a rise. And then there are seasonal effects there. So my advice to people, if you if you can work in some trip, trips during the winter and safely, uh, go ahead and do it because that's when gas is going to be cheapest. Uh, we also have never talked too much about the, the airline industry uh, with you because uh, travel has picked back up. And I noticed that the Raleigh-Durham Airport keeps announcing new flights. What are you forecasting as far as what we might see as far as uh, air transportation for individuals, both in business and in personal travel? Well, I think the problem there is, again, supply, uh, labor supply. I, I read that it's hard to get pilots. Uh, pilots had to sit out for, for COVID, and they've got to go through a training period, et cetera. So I think that's going to be the limiting situation. I know many airlines have actually cut back on their total flights because they just can't service them. They can't get the pilots. They maybe can't get the, the assistance, et cetera. But I think in terms of demand, yeah, people want to fly. People are, are now anxious to fly. They don't see the big impediments. But the impediment is from the ability of the airlines to supply the number of prompt planes, the pilots, et cetera. That's the problem. Sometimes uh, when you have uh, periods of recession, the account, the uh, travel and tourism in North Carolina actually picks up because people mm -hmm. take shorter trips. Right. You see right. that happening? 
I do. That's what Mary and I have done. We've not been on a plane since COVID, and but we've taken short trips. And, you know, it's been lovely to be able to see some places in North Carolina that maybe I've seen, but Mary's not seen. And uh, that's that's one of the big benefits of living in the state. It has so many attractions in, a, in an easy driving period from, say, uh, Raleigh. Uh, and so, again, North Carolina will fare better than most states as far as the uh, uh, possible recession. I think I think we will. We'll still see job loss if there is job loss, but I think we will feel uh, fare better because we've got businesses still wanting to be here. Businesses are less likely to shut down, et cetera. We're a growing economy, one of the fastest growing in, in the nation. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden. He is the, and I'm going to get it right this time, the professor, uh, the professor emeritus of economics at North Carolina State University. And uh, we will be back with one final segment. In that segment, we want to touch on the global economy because more and more our economy is tied to our friends uh, abroad. We'll talk about that and uh, I'll sort of recap what we've talked about in the earlier session about the uh, where recession and inflation may be going in the state of North Carolina, uh, especially for the next six months. And we'll do that when we return with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers with Dr. Mike Walker. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo. GOAT, G O A T, acronym, stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Dr. Mike Walden is our guest. He, of course, has been with us many, many times through the years. If you'd like to uh, go back to our archives and hear some of his earlier forecasts, you can do that because we have all of his broadcast archived. And uh, I don't know how many there are. Jason needs to research that one time and tell me how many broadcasts we've had. But we have them all. And you can go back and see uh, how Dr. Mike Wallen's forecast actually panned out. And I can tell you, he's usually right on target, pretty much on target. And that's pretty good for an economic uh, theorist. Uh, anyway. Uh, Mike, uh, thank you for being with us. We said right before the break we were going to touch a little bit more on the global situation because uh, more and more international trade is uh, very much a part of of uh, not only our economy but every economy across the country. So what are you seeing as far as uh, your forecast for the next year globally? Well, you asked um, 
earlier, Don, about the value of the dollar, and it has been rising against other currencies. And that is an indicator that international people look at the U.S. economy and see an economy that's probably faring better and will fare better than, than economies around the world. Indeed, if we look, for example, at Western Europe, they're looking at a very, very harsh winter because of the natural gas cutbacks from Russia. Uh, that's that's going to be very, very challenging for them. That's going to be very, very hurtful for them. Uh, we look at China now with the unrest. Uh, China is um, China is a country that actually faces some some even before this unrest some big challenges. One Don is in terms of population. They are they are actually targeted to depopulate and actually see their workforce fall at the same time as their elderly population increases. So China has some structural problems there, and you put on top of that the protests that they've been enduring over COVID lockdowns, and you have a questionable situation in, in, in China. Of course, North Korea has been um, spouting off in terms of missiles. That, that worries us. Uh, Southeast Asia has really come on, Don, as the uh, a new powerhouse uh, in the world economy, particularly Vietnam. We talked earlier about VinFast, which is a Vietnamese uh, EV uh, producer that's coming to North Carolina big time in terms of a factory, uh, Cambodia, um, um, uh, Thailand, et cetera, are all, uh, I forget the new name for Thailand, but uh, are all coming on. India, um, India had some problems, structural problems in their economy. They were pretty, very heavy handed regarding government. They've sort of moved beyond that. So I think they are probably going to eclipse, well, I know they're going to eclipse China eventually in terms of population. They're probably going to eventually eclipse China in terms of their economy. So keep your eyes on, on India. India, in terms of geopolitics, has played it very close to the best. They, they've, they've tried to be friends with a lot of people. They've had some clashes, as people know, on the northern border with China. So India is a, increasingly a, a world player. But I think short term, although we certainly have challenges, don't want to minimize any of the challenges that our economy has and our society has in, in the U.S., but we look re relatively good, very good, compared to some of the challenges in other parts of the world. Uh, you, uh, Of course, we alluded earlier to the Ukraine war. We talked about the, the challenges the Russian government has. What do you see happening from the economic point of view in Russia, uh, assuming that the... Uh, oh. War ends sometime in the next six months. They've got a large, a long period of rebuilding. It would appear to me. They do, and they're not going to have any friends to do that with. I mean, I think, I think clearly, uh, Putin miscalculated, and this war is has supposedly not is devastating not only for his military uh, and his international reputation, but it's devastating for his economy. Uh, when you we think about all of the money that the Russians are using to to fight the war, uh, you think about the sanctions that are on the the uh, the Russian economy, and I think that's his Achilles' heel. I think when when the economy continues to contract and life becomes difficult for Russians, I think there will be factions in Russia that will say that's enough. We're going to have to make a change in leadership. So I'll just reiterate what I said in one of the earlier segments. I would not be surprised in the next several months. To see, we wake up one morning and we see there's been a major change in the Russian leadership because that their economy is just uh, in, in shambles as a result of the decision that that, that Russia made. And you know, long run, I mean, Russia, <laughs> Russia. What is what is some one economist said that Russia is a gas station that has nuclear weapons. I mean, <laughs> they have not gone much beyond uh, utilizing their natural resources, particularly their energy resources, in order to keep their economy afloat. 
but I think there's p- tremendous potential there with the people, smart people, well-educated people, that if Russia wanted to change its ways and integrate itself with the, the world economy and, and be a, a polite player in the world economy, they, the long run could be very positive for them. But short run, I think it's, it's very, very gloomy. We talked earlier about the continued growth population-wise of especially the the uh, the Crescent, uh, Piedmont Crescent here in North Carolina and other select areas like Greenville, Wilmington, and Nashville growing. This also creates a problem because we're going to have to continue to build more infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have aging infrastructure in some of these more depressed counties. Now that prices are going up, uh, how are we going to handle that? Uh, uh, we're going to have to build out to aid the growth, and we're also going to have to build out to, to recover some of the aging facilities in some of the poorer counties, and yet the prices are going to go up. How, how will North Carolina handle that? Well, I, I had some uh, very close uh, work uh, done with others on this matter a couple of years ago when I was appointed to a <clears throat> transportation commission that we spent two years looking at the outlook for finances for road transportation, primarily in North Carolina. And we realized uh, very early on that our our needs were going to outstrip our resources. So one of the things we did in the the final report, and people could call, uh, I forget the the name, but the acronym was the first FIRST commission. You can can download if you're uh, interested in the report online. But one of the things we talked about is alternative financing methods. And one of the things that I was actually fairly, this is my personal opinion, excited to see, is that the General Assembly has now changed the way that roads are financed. They're not going to tap uh, for a limited amount into general sales tax revenues and transfer those to the transportation fund. And uh, the other thing that has been talked about for a long time is whether we need to go away from the gas tax to something like a mileage fee. Now that's a big leap and I understand there's a lot of pushback on that, but I saw a recent survey that now said that the majority of people in North Carolina were now in favor of that. So that's something that we might see uh, coming around the road, but there's no question we need to look at what we need to do in transportation. There are different opinions there. There are people that say, no, we need to stop building as many roads. We need to focus on mass transportation. Excuse me, Raleigh is moving in that direction. And we also need to look at how we're going to finance those projects. We have talked from time to time about the uh, situations in the uh, uh, sections of North Carolina that are not seeing growth. Broadband, of course, very important for those sessions. Where where do we stand now on broadband expansion? Well, we, we are expanding. And in fact, I think there has been success in bringing some kind of Internet to most areas, now not the high-speed internet that, that most of us want to use today, but at least some kind of internet. And I'm I'm actually confident, Don, and North, North Carolina's allocated money, uh, sums of money over time to expand the internet. I'm actually confident that I would say by 2030, we may very well see high-speed internet everywhere in North Carolina because of uh, the new ways of providing that internet through what's called low orbiting satellites. This is what Musk is doing. Elon Musk did early on and when the Ukraine war started out, he made his system of internet provision, which is by satellites that are not 25,000 miles in the air, they're only 600 miles in the air, available to the Ukrainian people and the military especially, and that, that continues to go on. And so we do have the capability 
I think increasingly in, in coming years to utilize that methodology of getting high speed internet pretty much anywhere. So you don't have to lay the cables, you don't have to lay the string of the wires, you do it from satellites, but satellites that are just right up there, not, not far away. So I think that might be the way that we get to that universal high speed internet. Mike, uh, a number of people joined this broadcast uh, after it began. In the first segment, we talked uh, about an overview of, of North Carolina's economic situation, especially in regard to a uh, uh, recession and also the inflation and also interest rates. So why don't we take the last set part of this uh, broadcast and sort of recap what you said earlier and uh, any other thoughts that you might have about what we can expect for the next six months? Well, the two big concerns are, as you said, Don, inflation and, and, and recession. And, and they're really tied together because the inflation rates that we've been dealing with over the last couple of years, well, wherever you, whether you look at the variety of measures, they're still well above the 2% that most people would like to see. Um, uh, in order to get those down, we, we have to slow the economy down. That's why interest rates are going up. That's what the Federal Reserve does when they want to try to slow the pace of economic growth. The question is whether they can slow that pace uh, not to zero and not to negative, but just slow it down enough that we can bring the inflation rate down uh, without causing a recession, or will we have a bona fide recession? So that's up in the air. I think I think the Federal Reserve is going to continue to raise interest rates, uh, maybe not quite as fast as they did, but I think they're going to continue to raise interest rates. So if you're you're out there uh, borrowing money for whatever reason, expect those rates just to be higher. I think it'll be another another year before you see them go back. If we do get to the point where the economy slows down so much that it does go in reverse, that is a recession, I think that'll be a rather mild recession. Uh, just to give you one indicator, right now unemployment in North Carolina is around 3.7%. I think it could get as high as five, five and a half, maybe top 6%, which is relatively low for a recession. But that would still mean another roughly 70,000 people unemployed. So it's not good. Um, there is some hope that maybe the job loss could be minimal because of all the unfilled jobs. If businesses cut back those, maybe they don't have to lay off people who already have jobs in their company. But I think the, the next uh, six to nine months will tell the tale on that. Then I think uh, this time next year, Don, when hopefully we're talking, we'll be on the other side of this. We will have seen a situation where we have much lower inflation. If we had a recession, it'll be in the rearview mirror. And we can try finally to get back to some sense of normalcy, which is what people tell me all the time when I do talks. Dr. Walden, when are we just going to get back to some normal? Uh, when are we going to get past COVID, not worry about COVID as much? Now we've got to worry about inflation. Now we have to worry about a recession. When are we going to get back to normal? And that's what I tell them. I think my best my best uh, estimate would be about a year from now. So I think the next year, nine months especially, we're going to be challenging. And I think you said mortgage rates might go as high as 7% uh, during the next uh, year. Uh, I think I recall that comment earlier. Yes, uh, I think well, mortgage rates, yes. yes. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your overview. As always, you make uh, the economy and economic situations understandable by even people like me. And uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate you, very much you taking time to be with us and explain things in such a kind and gentle way that we don't feel like we're a bunch of dummies. <laughs> if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can do so by going to carolinanewsmakers.com and all the broadcasts will be available and including those two segments that the half-hour stations that carry this program uh, miss. That is also available. 
Program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week, or so he promises. So next week, same time, same station. Have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers.